Amen. Y'all may have a seat. All right. Hey, what is up, BCM family? How are we doing? Man. Listen, first off, I just want to say welcome to you all. Whether this is your first time here or you've been coming for a while or maybe you've been coming for years, wherever you may find yourself in that spectrum, on behalf of our leadership team here, I want to say welcome and thank you for joining us this evening. And if I haven't had the chance of meeting you yet, my name is CJ. And once again, thank you for being here tonight. And I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that y'all are here with us. But I'm not only just so excited for today, but I'm excited for this week, right? Valentine's Day is coming up. Love is in the air. We're having people delivering flowers and posters, which is awesome. I love to see it. It's really a sweet sight. But now, for a brief moment here, I want to ask a few of you to do me a favor really quickly, okay? If you're a lady in the house and you know you are having a Valentine this week, can you please do me a favor and raise your hand and raise them high, okay? All right? There's a purpose to this. Now, single fellas in the house, I hope you're looking around for the hands that are down right now. That, that was for y'all. You still got some time before Wednesday, okay? Don't say I've never done anything for you now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I got y'all. Guys, hey, I, I got y'all. I got y'all. <laughs> nah, but thank y'all for participating in that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. But on a serious note, the Valentine season, it's, it's a really sweet time. Because you, you walk into Walmart or to other stores and you see aisles and aisles filled with various candies and cards, teddy bears, flowers. You get the whole gist. The vibrant colors, they, they almost take over the entire store. And I remember as a kid in elementary school, Valentine's Day was something to look forward to. I was always so excited to be able to exchange candy with my friends or, you know, maybe sneak in a little note for my, my crush that year, you know. And listen, hey, young CJ had a way with words back then, you know. That, that's how a brother shot his shot back in the day, you know. <laughs> but what happens, though, is we grow up. And instead of maybe having 24 Valentines, maybe we just have one. And we use this time, this season, to express our love for a significant other through the act of giving gifts. And Valentine's Day has mainly been associated with romantic relationships, but we know as human beings, relational beings, that there are so many more relationships that we are in than romantic ones. We have relationships with our family members, relationships with friends, coworkers, classmates, you name it. But the interesting about relationships is they can be hard at times, amen? I know a lot of us can testify to that. And sometimes we can get caught up in the lovey-dovey, the happy scenes in our relationships, and we forget that they take work. We've seen it from the beginning with Adam and Eve at the fall. Their relationship with God was not the only one that was affected by sin that day. We see in Genesis 3, they hide their nakedness from each other as a result of their disobedience to God. And when confronted, we see Adam place blame, places the blame on Eve. Relationships are difficult, and at times, conflict arises. Jonathan Bacluda, pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, I know a lot of y'all are familiar with him. He says that the healthiest relationships that anyone will ever have is with someone they have conflicted with. Because what happens is when people are doing life with each other, things can get messy and conflict may arise. But that is an opportunity to deepen that relationship as long as it is handled correctly. 
And scripture speaks to relationships and how to deal with conflict. So as we continue in our study in Galatians, we're going to talk a little bit about conflict today, if that's okay with you. So if you have your Bibles with you, please go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, allow me to recap some of what we've gone over the last few weeks to help contextualize the text that we're about to read. So the first week of the semester, we talked about this theme of freedom that we can see in the book of Galatians, that there is freedom found in Christ. And Rebecca wonderfully explained the problems that the churches in Galatia, that they had following a false gospel, a works-based gospel. And at times, we ourselves can catch ourselves, if we're not careful, following a false gospel as well. And as we went over the beginning of Galatians 2 last week, we saw Paul willingly submit to the leadership of the time. He comes and he meets with the apostles and he presents them the gospel that he's been sharing with the Gentiles. And in verse 9, he sa- it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they recognized and they approved of Paul's preaching, preaching to the Gentiles. And this is something that's very important here. They take him and Barnabas into fellowship with them. What does that mean? The Greek word that we find there is the word koinonia, which means to have in common or to share. It denotes a partnership. What it means is, as Paul, means is Paul and the other disciples, man, they're, they're boys now. And what they share and what they have in common is Christ. And this is really impor- important So let's look to our text today, Galatians 2, starting with verse 11. It'll be on the screen as well. It says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before a certain man came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Bow with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. Lord, I want to thank you for this night and this opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather together and worship as believers, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that as I'm speaking up here, God, that you would just completely speak through me, Lord. Allow me to be a obedient and willing vessel tonight, God. And I just pray, Lord, that the hearts of the people here will be receptive to the message that you have to speak through me. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we set the scene. We read the text. Now what happened? Because just a few verses ago, everyone was singing around, singing Kumbaya. Now we have Paul recounting an incident where he opposed Peter. So let's look to verse 12 again. For before a certain man came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Sharing a meal back then, like it is today, it's an incredible time of fellowship. Because who doesn't love good company and a good meal? Nobody, right? We all love that. We enjoy doing that. I know a lot of us did that before even coming here. So Peter, the issue here is that at one point, he was eating with Gentiles, fellowshipping with them, Gentiles being people who are not born of Jewish descent. And the problem here is that he stopped fellowshipping with them. He stopped eating with them when some guys who were sent from James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, came around. And in verse 12 says, but when they came, he drew back 
and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, the circumcision party, if you remember here, it refers to the group of the Jewish Christians who believed that Gentile converts, that they should adhere to Jewish customs, and they should um, adhere to those laws, and particularly in the right of circumcision, hence the name, circumcision party. And they believed that they needed to do this for them to be considered true members of the Christian community. And we simply know that that isn't the case. Right? The gospel is a lot more simpler than that. But what happens here is we see Peter, he slightly reverts to some of his old ways that you might remember when he was walking with Jesus and the Lord was just working on him. And we see that he draws away from the Gentiles out of fear, perhaps out of fear of being rejected. Maybe he hoped to avoid conflict or criticism from this group. Or maybe his concern was preserving unity between Jewish and Gentile believers. But however, his actions had the opposite effect. Because not only did he himself draw away, but the Jews around him, they followed his lead and they did so as well. So let's look to verse 13. And the rest of the Jews, they acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter believed in unity, and he was pursuing unity. But when these Jewish Christians, when they pulled up, he switched up. What Peter demonstrates here, unfortunately, is hypocrisy. To speak one way, but act another. To value an idea, but not walk in it. And consistency is super important with our individual walks with the Lord. But it's also important because people watch us. In this situation, Peter's behavior, it led others astray. So Paul, with grace, he had to correct them. And I think there are three keys that we can consider when we're dealing with conflict that we can see in this story and across Scripture. This list is not exhaustive, but there's three that I've been able to find in this story and across Scripture. The number one key is let truth be the standard. Let truth be the standard. So let's look at the first part of verse 14, which says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So pause right there. Okay. The standard that Paul upholds here is not a personal opinion. No, it is the truth of the gospel because the gospel in itself is sufficient. We don't need to look to anything else to make it the standard by which we correct from. In times of conflict or correction, what do you tend to make the standard? In my life, sometimes, maybe it's feelings for us or culture or maybe it's politics, but for me, I think about maybe sometimes the, the standard in which I correct from is simply, I just didn't like how they went about that. Or maybe this is you. If that were me, I would have said it differently. I, 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 I could go on, right? But I am not the standard to correct from. We are not the standard to correct from. The truth of the gospel is the standard to be uphold and the only standard to correct from. And Paul rightfully acknowledges that as he sees that Peter and the other's conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So in this specific scenario, let's look at scripture and what it has to say about a situation like this. Now, Jesus in John 13, 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Paul, he looks to the standard that Christ has set, and he remembers that we are to love first. Many of y'all are very likely very familiar with this phrase. What would Jesus do? He would love first. It's, a, it's a, a phrase so profound, a profound statement, and we put it on shirts. We put it on bracelets, and we wear it everywhere. But the question is, are we actually loving first? We see Peter, he slightly lost sight of that. And now listen, 
We talk a good bit about Paul's story, right? We talk about his contributions to the early church and his writings that we have in the New Testament, reading it right now. But listen, hey, Peter was no scrub. Because he, he was that guy too in his own regard. Listen, Peter, he got to, he literally, he was amongst the, the first few of the disciples of the 12 that, that Jesus called. And he walked with Jesus. He did ministry with Jesus. He got to witness the transfiguration and many other miracles. And he went on after the resurrection of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to heal the lame. He healed the sick and even brought a woman back to life. That's who Peter was. But even Peter needed to be corrected. Why? Because none of us are above being corrected. And Paul recognizes that the act of drawing away from brothers and sisters in Christ, that doesn't demonstrate the love that Christ has showed us. In the verses that we just read earlier from John 13, Jesus, he says that our love for one another is how others will know we are his disciples. So we are to identify division in the body Correct it and pursue unity. And now, the great theologian Eli Sorrow once said, why would anyone accept the invitation to sit at the table with Jesus if the ones already sitting are just throwing stones at each other? Inconsistencies in our walk, it can hurt our witness to non-believers. Not loving each other, it hurts our witness to non-believers. Because why would anyone want to sit at a table where the people at it don't get along? That's not a very inviting table, is it? So in conflict and in correction, we must come from a place of love and still let truth be the standard. Let the truth of the gospel be the standard in which we correct from. Now, secondly, seek reconciliation. Seek reconciliation. Now, there are a few elements within this, and the first that I'd like to offer is own your fault. Recognize the role you may have played to get to where you are. And this one can be really difficult because we're never the ones in the wrong, right? It's always the other person's fault entirely. Am I speaking to anyone here? I, I've seen that happen in my own life. But if we can, just for a moment, take the time and acknowledge that maybe at some point that we might have been wrong in an interaction. And if we can do that, then we've already made a great stride towards reconciliation. And like I said, I haven't always handled conflict well. I'm still learning. The Lord's still working on me. But when I think of this idea, I remember a time in the fourth grade. And uh, I had a friend. His name, was, his name was Justin. Okay. And Justin, he had a funny last name that a lot of us guys, we used to, used to crack jokes about it. You know how we are, 10-year-old boys. And something that's important to know about my man Justin is he had a bit of a temper. And the thing is, I knew that. So what happens next? That's entirely my fault. That is on me. So one day, we're running around the track during recess, and like normal, I'm cracking some of those jokes, okay? And a few of them were clearly striking a nerve. And the last one must have really got to him, because the next thing I know, we're lining up to leave recess, and I hear, CJ. And I whip my head around. And I kid you not, it's like a scene out of a movie, because time slowed down, and I see that hand. Open, open hand, winding up. And wham! <laughs> that brother slapped the taste out of my mouth. It was bad. Man, <laughs> it was bad. And he did this right in front of our teacher, too. She saw everything, so she looks at me and she says, If you hit him back, you'll be in just as much trouble as him. And boy, I was ready. I had it loaded. I had it loaded, but I'm, oh, uh, restraint. 
okay? And what happens after that, he gets sent to the office. And so my teacher and the assistant principal, they wanted to kind of understand what happened. So they asked me what happened. And of course, all I say is he just slapped me, right? <laughs> I don't say anywhere where I was wrong in making the jokes. No, he just slapped me. And so the principal, she tells me how proud of me that she is because I didn't hit, her, I didn't hit him back. Not only that, but she calls my mom. And I come home, my mom, she's hugging me. She's saying, man, I'm so proud of you, son, because the principal said that your son demonstrated an incredible amount of maturity when choosing not to retaliate when hit by another student. <laughs> That's crazy, ain't it? <laughs> and you know what's crazy? Matter of fact, I think we went out to eat that night because of that. <laughs> and I, I didn't deserve any of the praise that I got from this incident because I wasn't some victim who got slapped for no reason like I portrayed the story as. No, I was probably the main perpetrator in this whole scenario. And the thing is, it, it was very easy for me back then to just be upset with Justin for slapping me. And which, by the way, man, it, it was a perfect slap. I'm talking perfect form, perfect contact. Like, I'm sure that if anyone else was watching, they probably had a bit of a little, you know, Friday moment, you know, if, if you know, you know. And the thing is, I probably would adapt them up if, you know, he didn't just slap me and I was so upset. But, you know, you know how it is with 10-year-old boys. Um, that situation, it really just blew over. Didn't really talk about it. But now, looking back at the situation, I think to myself, you know, I didn't really need to keep making those jokes in the first place. Or I didn't need to, to make jokes about his name in the first place. That that was genuinely something that was very disrespectful. And in the act of seeking reconciliation, that at the time is what I needed to own up to. Fortunately, I didn't. And one of my favorite verses, Romans 12, 18, it says... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, if possible, it implies what? That it may not always be possible. Unfortunately, things happen. Sometimes people move away. Right? Sometimes the law is involved. Unfortunately, sometimes people die. But if possible... So far as it depends on you. We're not talking about the other party here. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. As far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. I had a football coach in high school who used to always tell us, control what you can control. I can't control that I haven't seen or heard of Justin in over 10 years. But what I can control is that when I have a disagreement at work or at home or with a friend, I am to own my part and seek reconciliation. I am called, if possible, as far as it depends on me, to live peaceably with all. This is what we are called to do. Seek reconciliation by owning your faults. And thirdly, continuously pursue unity. Continuously pursue unity. Let's look again at verse 14 of Galatians 2 says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, at first glance, when you read that Paul publicly rebukes Peter in front of all these people, you might think that's a little extreme. Right? You might even ask yourself, well, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And that's a valid point. But if you remember in this situation, something that's important is that Peter, in the wrong, 
right? But also, he had other people who were following in his hypocrisy. So all of them needed to be corrected. All of them needed to be corrected. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, Peter, listen. Guys, listen. You're Jews that don't always uphold Jewish customs and laws, and that's okay. But what's not okay is that you are forcing these Gentile Christians to uphold customs that you don't even consistently follow yourself. You're imposing unnecessary burdens when Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to save and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And next week we'll get into this a little bit further, but in verse 16, Paul beautifully talks about our justification and how it is not found in works of the law, but by faith in Christ. So Paul, he looks to the gospel, and he lets that be the standard. He sought reconciliation, and the step he needed to take to pursue unity was to lovingly call up his brothers in Christ. Now, a good friend of mine told me that when correcting our brothers and sisters in Christ, that it is better to call them up rather than to call them out. And I think that's beautiful because it's one thing to identify a shortcoming, but it's another to lovingly challenge them to better represent Christ. Paul, he could have simply said, guys, you're being hypocrites, and let that be it. But by asking them to look at their own lives, he was able to, excuse me, he was able to challenge them to drop the unnecessary and look to the necessary, which is Jesus Christ. And as believers, we are united in Christ, and that is paramount for building community. 1 John 1.7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light, meaning living a life of righteousness, truth, and obedience to God, allowing the Holy Spirit to continue sanctifying us and transforming us to look more and more like Jesus. That is how we have fellowship with one another, and it is the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross, that cleanses us from all sin. Now, Peter's response to this correction is not explicitly stated in the text. But with Peter being a leader in the church and his track record of showing humility and a willingness to learn, it is likely that Peter repented of his actions and pursued unity with the Gentiles that he drew away from. Because pursuing unity usually isn't just an admittance of fault and you just move on. It's not always that simple. Typically, there's steps to be taken after to continue to mend that relationship. For Peter, that probably looked like you know, going to the, not just going to the Gentiles and asking for forgiveness, but fellowshipping with them once again like he once had. It probably looked like telling those who followed after him, hey, listen, I was wrong in what I did, and I led you guys astray. And then inviting them to fellowship with, them, with the Gentiles once again like they once had. These are steps to be taken to continuously pursue unity. And what I wanted today, my question is, are there any steps that we need to take in this coming week to pursue unity? We read it, Romans 12, 18. We know we are to live peaceably with all, but what steps can we take this week to do so? When we correct others, do we let the truth of the gospel be the standard in which we correct from? Are we truly seeking reconciliation and willing to own our part if, in conflict if one exists? Are we humble and willing enough to receive correction? That's a hard one. Now, are we calling people out or are we calling people up? What steps need to be taken to pursue unity this week or maybe even tonight? 
Now listen, y'all, we've established relationships are not easy. They're not. And I won't pretend to know your situation because I don't. But what I do know is that I serve a God who restores relationships, a God who came down from his throne in flesh, died a death that I deserved so my sins could be forgiven and our relationship could be restored. And if you're in this room and you're without Christ, I beg you, that is the first relationship that needs to be reconciled tonight. And I ask that you, you don't wait. May tonight be the night that you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Relationships with others are hard enough. And without Christ in the center, it is just so much harder. So please don't leave tonight without making sure that you are right with Christ, first and foremost. There's so much freedom that is found in him. And now for the rest of us, here's the challenge. Let the truth of the gospel be the standard in which we correct from. May we seek reconciliation and own our faults, being humble and willing to receive correction ourselves. And finally, may we continuously pursue unity, walking in the light, and so far as it depends on us, living peaceably with all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I just want to thank you uh, for your word in Galatians and just how beautiful the text is that you wrote, God. And I thank you that we have this example and this situation to lean on, God, and how to, to deal with conflict, Lord. And I just ask that in all of our lives, God, may we let truth be the standard. May we seek reconciliation. May we continuously pursue unity in all aspects of our life, God, keeping you at the center of all that we do, God. And I ask tonight, Lord, that if there is anyone in here who does not know you, God, may they surrender their lives to you tonight, God. May they recognize the good God that you are. May they recognize the sacrifice that you made, dying the death on the cross that we deserve for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. There is no greater love than this, God. And I pray that each and every one of us can walk out knowing that we've experienced that and we can walk in the light knowing that is true. So, God, Whatever the next steps are for us individually, Lord, may you put on our heart, Lord, to take those steps, God, to walk in that and to be obedient in that, God. Father, we love you. Pray this all in your name. Amen.